Welcome to SolkanaCast, two broads talking broadly about health, the physical, the emotional, the nitty-gritty, and the fun. Real thoughts on real health. The information provided within this podcast is not designed to and does not provide medical advice, professional diagnosis, opinion, treatment, or services to you or any other individual and is intended for general information for educational purposes only. Welcome, everybody, Sulcana Cast episode 21. I am one of your co-hosts, Lucia Holly, nutritional therapy practitioner, coming at you. I'm Hannah. <laughs> Hi, <is>. everybody. <laughs> Hannah Whiteman, <laughs> owner of Sulcana CrossFit Wellness Fitness uh, and Coach Extraordinaire, self-titled mm. Coach Extraordinaire. <laughs> I would say you live up to that title and surpass it. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, we have a, another special episode this week because this is our first um, distance interview. We have our guest, Jacob Nachel, who I'll introduce in, in more uh, detail in a second, but we're super excited to have him on. Um, before we jump into our interview, Hannah, what's what's been going on? What's your update? Tell um, me. Let's see. I'm going to the SIA concert tonight. Ooh. I'm really excited uh, because not only is Sia amazing, but Miguel is opening. Miguel is amazing. Yeah. And um, also, I'm taking Taj, our producer Taj, for her 30th birthday. <laughs> Yay! Taj's birthday week. Yeah. So I'm pretty stoked about that. I've been pretty much thinking about it for the last, like, seven days. So that's uh, yeah, me. I, I took that's a relaxing awesome. weekend away with my parent at my parents' house. On the water, just like reading books and chilling. It was great. Nice. That's good. That's what about awesome. you? Um, I last weekend I also was out of town. I was out in Utah. Had a really nice time. Hiked around. Got to be outside. It was beautiful weather. Uh, so it was good. We didn't. Neither of us had challenges from our last episode, so we have no challenge update for people who are so curious about our challenge. I know you've been waiting. Yeah, we usually don't do them with guests, but Jacob, I think maybe, I, I just have a feeling you could probably give us a good challenge. Yeah. Uh, we usually ask for a challenge, so maybe maybe be thinking about how you could challenge us. It could be anything. Whatever you want. Don't make it too crazy, though. But maybe you will. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead. Let's start talking. So, like I said before, we have Jacob Nachel on the podcast today. He is based out of Reno, Nevada. He is the local food and sustainability coordinator for Great Basin Community Food Co-op. Um, Jacob and I know each other. We worked on an organic farm outside of Fort Collins, Colorado, about four or almost almost like five years ago, which is yeah. Um, yeah. pretty nuts to think how time flies. But yeah, Jacob, welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, do you want to tell us? I mean, I feel like there's so much, there's so much we could talk to you about, but yeah. First I of all, what's the weather like? It's so cold here. <laughs> it's uh, it's actually been pretty warm. It's been in the 70s and 80s this past week. Um, <sighs> it's supposed to rain this weekend, which is like a really big, exciting deal for the desert. Um, everybody's getting really excited about that. Wow. <laughs> that'll be that'll that's, be a shift. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a very different experience than what we have. I know it rains and everybody goes outside and like gets really excited and happy. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's like a yeah, it's like the opposite. We cower. We we also we cry when we see rain. <laughs> um, tell us what's what's been going on. I'd love to hear about what your transition was. What it was like for you to work with food, growing food, because you farmed quite a bit, and what that shift was like to then be in this position in a co-op where you're now selling food and there's marketing of food? Um, it, it, it was really interesting because it's, it's different perspectives on the exact same thing. Um, so, so having those two different views really, really helps a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, when we, when we were at the farm in Colorado, you remember we sold a lot of produce to Whole Foods and, and it was this like, long-standing joke about how awful Whole Foods was to work with and how they rejected so much stuff and how their standards were so high. But now I work in a grocery store and when our local producers bring us food, I'm trying to hold those same, those same standards. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it's uh, the gro um, selling food in a grocery store um, is on, on a good day. I think of it as I'm trying to help people um, make the choices positively impact their lives. Um, and on a bad day, um, you look at it and you think I'm trying to trick people spending more money. Um, and there's so much psychology that goes into into grocery stores and the the way you set up prices and where you put items and how you market them and 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 a lot of people are really quick to use that to try to sell more stuff. But I think we're we're different because we 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 know what it is, but we we use it to kind of subsidize the the organic, the local, the produce, the single ingredient stuff. Um, and a lot of that comes. I mean. Um, my co-grocery manager um, also had a background working on farms. Our produce manager uh, currently runs a farm right now, which wow. he sells us to himself at the co-op. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so that background that we have, we, we understand a lot, lot more the difficulties um, in the transition between growing food and selling food. Um, and we also just have much more of a perspective on, on this is how we're going to change the world. And, you know, being a co-op or member owned, we're not trying to make money. We've actually never made money in the 11 years that we've been a co-op, um, but we've broken even. And we've been able to keep doing what we're doing, which is like really trying to support local farms, um, help people understand organic food and help, help them make really healthy choices. Yeah. And what would you say of the... The food or produce or just um, options within the store, what percentage is local or from the greater Nevada, Reno area? Um, it, it varies a lot. So one thing that I really like to talk about is actually how we define local. Um, local as a 200-mile as a radius. There's just You take a map and you put a big circle on it. Um, and anything that comes from within that 200 mile radius is considered local. But actually, when you when you really look at um, economic and environmental impacts, that's not really so. Perfect example: there's a company called Nature's Bakery. Um, they make fig bars. They're located in Reno. I could walk to their production facility um, mm. from the store. They make their their fig bars. They put them on a truck and they drive them over the Sierra Nevada mountains to Rockland, California, just north of Sacramento, and they drop them off at a UNFI warehouse. And then I take a little scanning machine in the store, um, scan that item, uh, sends over to the warehouse in Rockland. They pick that item up, they put it on a pallet, they reassemble it, put it on a truck, and drive it back over the Sierra Nevada mountains to us and drop it, drop it off. No, that's crazy. <laughs> it sounds so, painful. <laughs> so that, in our minds, is not a local item. That is, we're not supporting local industries that way. We're we're right. supporting um, uh, bigger industrial food systems, which is not something that we're really all about. So we define yeah, local. That seems like a very big. That seems like a very big footprint, food item. Yeah, um, it 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 is, and there there are a lot of them, and we're we're really close to California. We get most of our most of our food comes from Northern California. Blessing and a curse. We get. I mean, California produces the vast majority of the produce that we eat in this country. So, guess what? We can get oranges from 200 miles away. You know, we can get avocados from 200 miles away. So so a lot of our produce is coming from closer. But at the same time, we're really tuned into a lot of the problems that California is having. Um, the, their drought has gotten really extreme. Um, demand for almonds has gone through the roof because almond milk is this big thing, and now almond butter, and everybody wants almonds. And what happened in California was the uh, all these all these farmers said, "Hey, almonds are more profitable than the vegetables we have grown. I'm going to plant almonds." They did this right before the drought hit, and then when the drought hit, if you if you have a field full of squash, vegetable crops. And you don't have enough water, you just don't plant anything that year. But when you have a 20-year-old almond tree that's taken 10 years to start producing economically and you have a drought year, you need to find water. And so they're drilling wells deeper and deeper into the ground, and it's actually sinking the Central Valley. Um, last year, there are parts of the San Joaquin Valley that dropped by like 10 inches, um, and it's buckling roads, and it's kind of ruining the infrastructure. Oh my so. So, so much of our job is balancing that kind of stuff. So people want healthy non-dairy options. There are a lot of people that are lactose intolerant and we want to help them find food and almond milk is the next best, you know, one, one of the healthier things and we want, we want it to be organic and we want it to be sprouted and, um, but then also we're trying to balance that with the environmental impact of growing this many almonds. 
So what do you do, like in that example of almonds, what, what are your options? What do you do? Um, it, every single thing is circumstantial. Um, and it gets kind of crazy. Um, so, you know, so in the almonds, we try to educate people. So quick little note about, I talked about the psychology and how on a bad day, I feel like we're just trying to trick people into buying food. Um, mm -hmm. if you pick up a bottle of almond milk, the first ingredient I guarantee you is going to be almond milk on the ingredient list. And then in parentheses, it's going to say water, comma, almonds. Right. Um, <laughs> And the reason they do that is because you have to list the ingredients by weight, and almonds might be a really, really small fraction of that. Um, but as long as you lump them with the water, they get top billing on the ingredient list, so you don't have to list them after xanthan gum and sugar and all the other things that go into it and the natural flavors. So on one hand, we don't want people to eat that because it's not actually almond milk. It's a bunch of natural flavors and gums and stabilizers in water. But on the other hand, we get them really awesome, clean, organic almond milk made with 10 times as many almonds. We're, we're putting a higher environmental demand on, on the ecosystem. Right. Uh, that's a hard trade-off. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Oh. So so our, our biggest education, we, we really try to refrain from pushing people to diets. Uh, a lot of people that shop in the store that are vegan, that are gluten-free, that are paleo, and... And despite the fact that everybody that works here has their own lifestyle choices and food choices, we don't want to discourage somebody. If somebody comes in and says, I'm vegan, I want non-dairy milk, we're not going to say, don't buy almond milk, that's bad for you. We're going to say, if you, if you value health, here's the best one for you. If you value environmental impact, here's the best one for you. And ideally, we find ones that are that are both. I mean, we have the same thing, you know, hypothetically, let's say we look at coconut oil, and we have one that's um, refined and one that's unrefined. Well, somebody that's trying to make the best choice for the health might choose the unrefined coconut oil, but if you look at how they're sourced, maybe the refined coconut oil comes from a uh, diverse polyculture of um, coconuts with an understory of coffee and full ground cover and workers that are paid fair wages. And so if you want a social environmental impact, you choose one or the other one. Ultimately, my job is to help people find ones that are both. Um, oh. So you're taking, you're helping like... people feel, Hannah, we all have video right now, so we can see Hannah like <laughs> melting at how horrible, how stressful well, it is to be like thinking about I that, need... like the tears of everything. Yeah. I feel like I just need you to walk to the store with me because <laughs> like I was an environmental studies and environmental science major and I still feel like I go in and I, there's just like, it's hard to identify what is truly a good practice and also going to contribute to my overall health and wellness, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's something too, that I know Jacob, you and I have talked about, um, when you look at even like the labeling and the different, like, um, specific labels that will go on packages of food that'll say like, Oh, something certified or like even just greenwashing any of that, what, how the products are trying to sway you into thinking about them too. Right. And and one of the really unfortunate realities is that the more money a company has to put into telling you how awesome they are, the less money they're putting into actually being awesome. And so a yeah. lot of the companies we work with, you know, we find these really small scale great companies and and they're super committed to um, to helping build communities. We work a lot with the Frontier Spice Cooperative. Um, our whole bulk spice set is is mostly from um, from this cooperative and because they're spices they're not going to be grown domestically and so they go into other countries they build schools um, and and not purely from a we want to feel good about ourselves but they go into Madagascar and say we need vanilla beans um, and these women aren't able to work in the fields because they're trying to raise their kids if we build a school it will give their kids a place to go it will give them education help train them to be better off in the world and free up their parents to actually produce these spices that we need and make money for their for their family and their communities. Um, but they're so busy doing that great work that they don't have time to tell everybody about all the great work they're doing. Mm. And then you have, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know about a lot of the labels that you'll see on packages of eggs and what they really mean. Um, simple one, cage-free. <laughs> yeah, cage-free means that the chickens are not in cages. So rather than having you know, half a square foot per bird with birds in cages, you have half a foot, half a square foot per bird with birds not in cages. And, and that can actually be worse off because then they have access to each other. And when they're cramped 
um, and don't have space, they tend to get kind of violent towards both themselves and other birds. And so the next step that these commercial egg farms go through is they de-beak the chickens to keep them from self-mutilating. Um, so cage-free doesn't oh, really... Oh, just, just for eggs. <laughs> just, just for eggs. And then you get the free range, which people think is the next step up, and you get the pastured. Um, and, and a lot of these aren't really even even certified terms. You know, it's like local. Everybody has their own definition of what local is. Um, but it's not regulated. And so we sell an ice cream bar that on the side of the package, it says locally made in Maine. Um, that's not local to us. Everything is local <laughs> in relation to where it's made, but right. <laughs> they know that that word means something and people will pay extra for it. So they're just kind of throwing darts and saying, Hey, if, if this word means something to people, we're just going to throw it all over our packaging and try to increase sales. Right. So with that, I mean, you you have to you do so much specific research into these different brands because this is your job. So, when you are off the clock and you're shopping as a consumer, what is what is that experience like for you now? It's it's really interesting how how a lot of not too much has changed because I still have that farming background. Um, we joke a lot about the grocery stores are divided into different sections. You have refrigerated, you have meat, you have produce, and you have center store grocery, which is basically the aisles. You go into a bigger grocery store, it tends to be the chips, the soda, but also the rice and the pasta and uh, the canned fruit and, you know, beans and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we joke about how I manage that department and I decide what to sell and what not to sell, um, but I don't ever buy from it. And that's true for pretty much everybody that works at the co-op. We shop in the produce section, we shop in the bulk section, and we buy. We actually have some really great local ranches, 100% pasture-raised, uh, pasture grass-fed, grass-finished, um, locally grown meat, um, heritage breeds, really, really cool stuff. Um, and that's pretty much like the only place I don't. I don't even go in. I don't buy chips. I don't buy um, pretty much anything from the department that I manage. Yeah. <laughs> You just, uh, just work it for people. Then you're like, okay, I did my best. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's true. And, and one of the things that I love about, about being at the co-op is we're not, trying to, we're not trying to make sales. We're not trying to sell things to people. We need to to be viable. But when somebody comes in and says, hey, I'm looking for a snack. These chips look great. Everybody in our store is perfectly comfortable saying, actually, you know what? They're not that great. Let me tell you why they're not that great. Come over here and try this. And, and I spend a lot of time doing that. I go in and people say, you know, oh, I, I want to try this or I want to buy this. And I say, what are you looking for? And and if they're looking for something healthy, if they're looking for healthy fats, I help direct them in a good direction. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to sell them more products. I'm trying to help them make the right choices. Would you say people are open to those suggestions when they do come in? I, I think open would be a huge understatement. I think people are are desperate for that kind of help. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is my full-time job to research this stuff and find out which companies are real, which ones aren't, and that changes all the time. So Neiman Ranch, when they came out, they were originally like the um, sustainable um, sustainable pork in this country. They were small-scale. Their founder, Bill Neiman, did all this great work, and then he left the company because they weren't doing things the way that he thought they should be doing. And then eventually the company got sold to Purdue, which is the uh, like second or third largest chicken processor in the world. Uh, and so we've stopped carrying all their products. Um, they used to be great. We still have to stay on top of, of what all these companies are doing. Um, and, and I don't want to say that small companies are always better than big companies. Um, Alter Eco and Lotus Foods both do some really, really great work. Um, and they're actually pretty big companies. Um, mm. But it's, it's, uh, in general, you're going to find that the smaller ones have more, are, are more mission-driven than profit-driven. Mm -hmm. So, and do you feel like those those mission driven um, companies? Do you feel like they're able to stay profitable and stay in business, or do you feel like there's like filtering through those different companies? And even if they're so uh, hopeful with what they're trying to accomplish, do you feel like that carries through from a business standpoint? I think I think it's a generational thing. So a a, a quick little history on co-ops. Um, our co-op is doing really well. We're growing at at a pretty unprecedented rate, um, and 
and a lot of people are trying to figure out why we're doing so well because we're a pretty small co-op all things considered and the trend has been whole foods and kroger not whole foods uh walmart and kroger's and these really basic conventional stores hidden valley ranch now has an organic ranch dressing i just mm. learned that today um mm. and and so they're getting in on it and a lot of co-ops are responding and saying they're taking what we're good at we need to get better at it we need to get tighter and leaner and we need to get more price competitive we need to drop our prices we need to maybe start carrying some conventional produce because a lot of co-ops have 100 percent organic produce sections and a lot of them are switching and saying we need to carry more conventional produce we're doing just the opposite we're saying if they're taking organic and that's becoming their their top line then our top needs to be so much better than that so like organic now needs to become our baseline and we need to work up from there. We need to constantly be providing the next things and stay ahead of the game and really be be the leaders in the food movement, which to me is really exciting because it's like organic doesn't mean it's actually become kind of mainstream and it should because it's better than non-organic. And now we need to find the next best thing that's that's a step ahead of that and, and, and really stick with it. And so in all that rambling, I totally forgot what your question was. <laughs> I if, the, if the well, yeah, I think, and I think you did answer the question that I had, which was those companies that all are smaller that are providing that um, more, you know, be it fair trade or anything like that. The companies that are really kind of down on the ground that make sense for people like you to be putting money into are they are they sustainable or are they right. even competitive with those bigger businesses that maybe aren't so, so perfect in other regards. I, I remember where I was getting at now. And I think historically, people people trust advertising. I mean, that's what the idea was. You you go out and say, hey, here's what's true about my product. And people go, oh, wow, that's really nice. I'm going to buy that now. And generationally, you look at our generation and, and even more so the generations underneath us, we've been raised to be so unbearably cynical. And so we don't trust anything that these companies tell us anymore. And we've actually gotten really good subconsciously. Nobody really thinks about it. But you see... A bunch of products and you see how they're how they're branded they have their label and the stuff that they put on and you can kind of tell which ones are big companies and which ones are small and innovative and doing things differently and we gravitate towards those mm -hmm. and so i think we're finally at a point where people their natural state is to not trust what it says to either do the research themselves or to really want to kind of opt out of it and find their own thing so i think a lot of these companies that are mission driven are succeeding because they are because people are paying attention and people are skeptical and if and and you can't fake it anymore good i'm glad that we're glad that our cynicism is paying off it's, yeah. it, it is there's, it's yeah there's there's some good and some bad to it but i like to be hopeful yeah so um yeah as a you know as a person who's just walking to the grocery store usually when I go to the co-op, I'm just moving like at a clip, trying to get my business done. <laughs> like, what are the what are the main things that I should be trying to pay attention to? Because I don't have room in my brain for everything. If I'm trying to like have a balance of personal health as well as some environmental awareness, at least, what are like the takeaways for the consumer to actually? do this work without being like so bogged down that they take four hours at the grocery store? That's, that's an awesome question. We do have those people, by the way, that come in and take four hours at the grocery store. <laughs> we vet out every single product they choose. Oh, it's, it's really fun. Um, <laughs> a quick and easy answer. I mean, don't, don't ever be afraid to ask questions. Like the people that work at, at co-ops and, and at health food stores, like they're there for a reason and they do their research. So, so always ask questions. The other easy one, I know a lot of people don't shop at co-ops or don't shop as much as they want to at co-ops. I hear people say all the time, I'd love to shop here more, I just can't afford it. Um, and, and that's ultimately true. Like it's, it, it is more expensive. Good food costs more. Um, you can get into the whole history of how much expendable income Americans spend on food and it's been dropping since the 30s, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's a, different, a whole different story. Um, <laughs> a simple answer, if you're going to spend more money on good food, um, do it where it counts. Um, switching from uh, Lay's potato chips to organic late late July potato chips is going to cost you more money, and it's not going to do that much for your health or for the environment. Um, so, so when you have a little bit of extra income to put into food, put it into eggs 
put it into meat, um, those are the two most important ones. Like they are worth every dollar that you spend. I mean, the nutritional profile between a a, a, a battery raised hen and a pastured organic animal welfare approved hen is is pretty mind blowing. And and same thing with meat. I know you guys have have talked about this in another podcast. So so eggs and meat um, and produce. Um, the, the, the first step that I took, and I think the first step anybody takes in moving towards organic and healthy food is only buying organic produce. Um, so look for the, think about the fresh stuff, the, yeah. the meat that could go bad, the vegetables, fruit that could go bad, opting to look at the quality of those first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the nutritional profile, um, significantly increases with, with high quality, fresh food, like you said, and, and the environmental impact too. I mean, ultimately you know, chips, whether they're organic or not, whether they're made with sprouted grains, are coming out of a pretty massive factory shipped pretty long distances, um, filling up trucks with a lot of air. As you guys know, you've opened chips before and seen. <laughs> right? You're like, like, come yeah. on, chips. It's paid $4 for 10 chips. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, when, when you don't have the time for it, pay attention to the things that count and really shop produce, shop bulk, um, and, and you don't need to spend a ton of money everywhere, but, but do it for meat and eggs. Okay. Wait, I don't, I don't actually know. I, now I'm curious about the other story that about how much money people spend on groceries. I don't know this at so, all. Um, Americans used to spend around on average 20% of their expendable income on food. Um, so it was, it was a significant investment. I mean, it was a big part of their lives and that was, that was normal. So nobody thought twice about it. And food has slowly become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. A lot of people would argue because it's also become less and less actual food. Um, and so people have become used to, um, we now spend, it's somewhere between six and 8% of our, our expendable income on food. Um, and so people become used to that. And it's always interesting when people come in and look at, let's say organic potatoes and they're $1.99 a pound. And people look at that and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how much those potatoes cost. And I say, hold on, hold on. You have it backwards because have you ever grown a potato? Like I want you to take one of these potatoes home. I want you to cut it up. Make sure you have an eye in each slice that you have seed potatoes. I want you to prepare a bed. I want you to plant them in the ground early in the spring. I want you to cover them. I want you to water them. I want you to watch them grow. I want you to fertilize them. I want you to bury them so that you get more potatoes. At the end of the year, I want you to pitchfork them, harvest, and take out the potatoes you have and tell me that that was worth less to you than $2 a pound. Mm. Um, and so when people say, oh my gosh, this is so expensive, I say, you have it backwards. You should be looking at that and saying, this is so normal. And then when you see potatoes that are 69 cents a pound, you should be saying, oh my gosh, how is that so cheap? Yeah. What, what, what that happened way. that made those so cheap? Like, oh. Exactly. And, and, and it comes down to quality. And when you start looking at food that way and looking at at organic produce and saying, this is normal. And then you see the conventional and say, how did that get to be so cheap? It really changes your way of thinking. Totally. Yeah. And I think also the experience that you and I shared, Jacob, um, just being on the farm and spending full days out in the fields, growing potatoes, growing carrots, having crops that maybe didn't do so well. And um, looking at it from that end of just like the manpower that goes into it, it does, it, it quickly gives you a different perspective on what it's like to go into the store, be presented with just the a bounty of really beautiful, high-quality produce to be like, oh, yeah, of course, those tomatoes are going to be more expensive right now. They're not really in season, but they're available, so they'll be pricier. Yeah, and and that comes down a lot to education. I mean, one of my, one of my favorite stories was uh, an urban grower, I think it was in Chicago, um, was out working his farm and some kids were walking by, you know, and, and, and they're growing up in inner city Chicago. They don't know. I mean, they hardly even know what dirt looks like. They know what concrete is. Um, and they and they stopped at the fence and watched them harvest for a little bit. And finally, one of the kids yells, why'd you put those carrots in the ground? Now they're all dirty. Mm. And the point was these, these kids had no idea that carrots grow in the ground. He thought the farmer had taken them and shoved them into the dirt. Um, and so so the more we can teach people, the more people have that experience whether they have a CSA and they go volunteer on a farm or they just go to farmer's markets and meet their farmers. Uh, we host farm tours every summer and we take people around to the local farms so that they can see what's happening. Um, it really opens people's eyes to, to, to what food is, how it's made, and, and what it's actually worth. 
I have a question for you. Since you must be acutely aware of food waste and how much food people waste when they purchase things from the store, um, what, what's your personal strategy to take the most advantage of the food that you do buy to make sure that you're doing it in a way that's actually sustainable for you? I, I personally feel like my biggest point of failure with my food is how much I throw away versus yeah. where I, where I buy it from. You know, that, that's, that's a great question. Um, two responses to that as a store, um, stores factor in a certain amount of waste, uh, to food last year, it was $70,000 worth of produce that was wasted. Um, which is obviously a lot. Um, and that's actually, much, much better than, than most grocery stores. Um, so what we've set up is a system where as our produce, we have a, a juice bar. We make, um, you know, fresh pressed um, juices and smoothies. We also have a kitchen and we prepare a lot of food. We make soups. Um, so our produce department, when, when produce starts looking less than perfect, and it's tough because you have to have 30 bell peppers out at once. And if one of them looks less good than the other ones, people will always pick around. I do it too, even when I know that the ugly fruit or vegetable is just as good. Um, so as soon as they get that ugly produce, they send it to the kitchen and they send it to the juice bar and we make it, we cook it into food. Nobody cares how ugly the bell pepper was when it's in a really delicious soup. Um, so doing that, we've been able to get our, um, our food waste as a store down by an awful lot, just by making sure that we're using everything that we do. Um, and then second answer to that question on a personal level, um, I'm really lucky. I work in a grocery store. Um, so when I go shopping, I'm shopping for dinner breakfast and lunch. I have three meals. I know what I'm going to eat. I buy that stuff. I go home, I eat it, I go to work the next day and I do the same thing all over again. Um, and that's actually a more a traditional European way of shopping. I, I grew up shopping was the thing you did twice a month and you went to the grocery store and bought, I mean, you know how big those shopping carts are. Uh -huh. you oh, yeah. thing up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you fill two of them up and you buy it and you keep that stuff and, um, and that's part of the reason that we don't eat as much fresh produce as, as we should, because even if you buy all the produce in the world, if you're only shopping every other week, you have maybe four or five days where, and then you're eating out of cans for the next week and a half. Um, right. So, so European style shopping, I mean, you know, we're used to bread that lasts forever, a baguette, like a traditional French baguette lasts for one day. Like that is all it is good for. It's hard as a rock by the end of it, by, by the next day. And so they just buy one every day, and that's and that's their bread. And they go to the store and they buy just enough food for dinner, and and everything's much fresher that way. Um, I know a lot of people don't have the time to be shopping every day like that, but I think just um, decreasing the amount you spend and increasing the frequency can really help with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think I think it also starts to chip away at other at lifestyle too. So. How close do you live to a grocery store? What is what is your daily routine like? Where is that time to be able to go shopping? Is it every day? Is it once a week? Is it every couple of days? What is right. storage like at home? Do you have a big enough freezer to be doing batch cooking and then freezing some of that food? Or is it really, do you have just enough counter space for a thing of bananas and a carton of eggs in the fridge? Right. And, and that gets into the socioeconomics of it. I mean, I'm, I'm, as privileged as I am when it comes to food. I have the food storage. I have I have a four oven. I have the means to prepare my own food and I live close to a grocery store. And and I mean that's the idea behind a food desert is is there are literally the places where people don't have access to food. They have to get their food from gas stations or they have to pay a lot of money to take a bus to to a different neighborhood to be able to get their food. And and in that case there there are much fewer choices. Um, the easy one is to focus on produce and buy as much frozen and canned produce as you can because mm -hmm. it will keep and it's better than better than gas station food. But but even that's not you know it's not fresh and and like you said there's issues with freezer storage space. Some people don't even have that. And um, I will say I have a I have a little story about um, I lived in a neighborhood <clears throat> in Minneapolis that was it it isn't anymore. But when I was living there, it was technically considered a food desert. And there was a one um, convenience store nearby that did have a freezer section and had some foods. And they had a nice assortment of some stuff. They had um, they had bananas and some oranges. So there was some stuff that there was definitely you know, a movement through. So those things needed to stay fresh. But 
I remember I popped in there once and was like, oh, I'll get some frozen peas. You know, that's like, right, a, a easily accessible vegetable that should keep for a long time because it's in the freezer. Went in there, got the peas, came home, was gonna like cook them on the stovetop, opened up the bag, the peas were gray. Every single pea was gray. It was yeah. the oldest bag of so peas I had ever encountered. They got thrown away. Yeah, good, good, good call. Right? But I mean, yeah. it's, it's stuff even like that where it's like, gosh, what is like the turnover of a frozen yeah. vegetable that could be, could, that could be such a great access point. But yeah, it's food deserts, man. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're a whole other discussion. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And then shaking your head. No. <laughs> I live at my closest grocery store is Target, Super Target. Like if I yeah. want to go to the, if I want to go to the co-op, that's, it's I mean, a 20, that's, that's, twenty minute drive. And 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 you live in Minneapolis. You live in the city with the highest density of co-ops of any city in this country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and a lot of people still don't have access there. And that's, I mean, the more you you, you get down that road, you get into socioeconomic issues. You get into, I mean. Um, like city planning and architecture issues. Um, I mean, you get into to some really, really big conversations, and they're conversations that need to happen, but um, you need to bring everybody into it. And I know, Jacob, that you, you have visited Minneapolis for fun, but also last year you visited for a conference that was put on. You have to tell me the name of the organization again. The NCG, uh, National Cooperative Grocers. So that was part of the reason why you were able to travel around Minneapolis and I think St. Paul too to look at some of the different co-ops, yep. right? Yep. So what what were your reflections from that conference or what I mean was the conference in line with a lot of what you're thinking or are, are your thoughts more just based on what you're seeing in Reno? Um I think we're 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 fairly independent. So the NCG is um uh, a collection of more than 140 different co-ops in the country are all actually a member of an even bigger co-op uh, that that helps co-ops make decisions, helps them figure out financial stuff. They bring a lot of new co-ops in that are just getting started and kind of learning really simple things like how to price things accordingly and how to make enough money that you at least don't go out of business. Um, and so they do some really great work in that regard, but but being a national organization that helps all these co-ops, they can't do as much for us on the local scene as we're capable of doing ourselves. I mean, a, you know, organization in Minneapolis can't tell us how to manage our local scene because it's really hard to grow fruits and vegetables in the desert. So we are lacking in that. We had a good fruit year this year for the first time in five years. And so we have local, local pears and local apples and local grapes, which is a luxury that we haven't had in the past. Um, but but the NCG, um, they yeah they 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 kind of help you take care of the the help us take care of the um, the bigger picture stuff. Um, got to meet a lot of people from a lot of different co-ops. We're on the smaller end of co-ops in this country, um, and a lot of co-ops are scared. They're they're um, they're either in towns where Whole Foods and natural grocers are moving into town, and so they're afraid of losing their customers to these bigger stores. Or they see that Walmart and Kroger and these really big stores are are starting to add organic lines and starting to to up their selection mix, and so a lot of a lot of co-ops aren't sure what to do with that. And a lot of them, are, well, let's introduce the Clean 15, which is supposedly the list of 15 conventionally grown vegetables, fruits and vegetables that are the least awful for you, which to me is kind of a scary analogy as it is. Um, <laughs> Um, but they're bringing in the least awful conventional vegetables to try to improve their price image, and they're getting really focused on that when I think it's a time that we need to focus on, on building community, on developing like really intimate relationships with customers and, and helping them fit their needs and, tell, and telling really good stories about some of the awesome local stuff that we have. Mm. Yeah, I think that's huge, continuing to support and reinforce local but having it be that like authentic local instead of like locally made in maine popsicles that you can buy in the freezer right yeah. Yeah. um what what would you say because in addition to working with food and being so amazing with how you're sourcing your food for personal use you are also very much into cooking said food 
Um, what what's a food that you're into right now that gets you really excited that you're either cooking or just great cheeses? I know you're into cheese, honey, any of that. Oh man, um, there's a whole lot. I mean, we joke about it. I'm I'm lucky that everybody I work with here is kind of in the same boat as I am. We we cook for each other, and we joke about how the second we sit down for a meal, we start talking about other food that we're not currently eating. So we're like eating <laughs> one food, talking about other food, and that's just kind of all we manage to focus on. But it's it it's it's really fun learning as much as we do. Um, the the three big things right now for me. Um, Honey's always part of them. I'm a beekeeper on the side. Um, we actually have a local producer that's doing this really cool thing. He's taking a quart mason jar, um, and he puts a little strip of four little strips of wax on the inside of the jar, puts it upside down over his hives, and the bees go into the jar, fill it with honeycomb and wax built onto the sides of the jar, and then he takes the jar off, lets the bees get out, and just tops it off with honey. And he's he's balanced a lot. Oh my Super cool. god! That what sounds a cool dude. so tasty. <laughs> yeah, we have. It's, um, it's... I was gonna say we have the the bees knees, which I took Jacob to. They're literally yep. about twenty feet away from where Hannah and I are right now. Um, makes me want to be like, knock on knock. Hey, <laughs> if you heard about this yeah. guy in the court mason jars? Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I mean, uh, local honey is always one of them. I'm. Uh, I'm trying to perfect the kimchi recipe right now. I got a five-liter German air seal crock um, that I've been playing with, just doing a lot of fermented vegetables. I mean, I think that's kind of the one of the cornerstones of, of my diet is, is fermenting as much food as I can. Um, in the same vein, I have a sourdough starter that we've been keeping for about three years. Mm. And um, a friend of mine just got a grain grinder. So we're going to start sourcing grain, grinding it ourselves, and, and making it into bread. So... I have to get good at whole wheat bread because that's pretty hard to do. Um, yeah. But I want to start experimenting with with organic einkorn spelt, some heritage grain, and and just some like really well sourced like start finding local grain grinders um, or local local grain growers to work with. Um, and I think that's the direction food's going to move in for a while. When people talk about organic, the assumption is kind of they're talking about fruits and vegetables, which are uh, less than five percent of the food mm. grown in this country, and so when we're when we're talking about expanding the idea of organic and growing food better, it really needs to move into people buying organic grains. Um, that's that's the next big one. Um, so so I want to kind of stay at the forefront of that and experiment as much as I can in that direction. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone is ever traveling through Reno and wants a really good meal, maybe hop over to Jacobs and homemade yep. kimchi and sourdough. But I think also both of those products, kimchi, um, especially fermented vegetables, that's such an amazing way when we were talking about uh, food waste too, thinking a way to preserve food, especially the foods that can go bad more quickly like fresh produce, preserving them in traditional ways to not only make them their nutrition more readily available to your body, which is what's going to be happening with the fermented food. It's fermented, so it's been already, to a certain extent, pre-digested by the good bacteria that you want to be pre-digesting it. Um, yeah. But that's going to make it more, it's going to last longer. It won't be cabbage that's going to go bad in two weeks. It'll be cabbage that you've intentionally changed its structure, and now it'll last for months, especially in the yeah. fridge. Yeah, and and that's a big part of it, and I'm lucky our, our produce manager really loves sharing um, what's in season and what's, you know, like what's a really good deal right now because everybody's growing it and it's really fun. So like right now persimmons are just coming on. Um, and the, the, the bigger fat ones, I, I forget how to pronounce it. Hachia, I think okay. something like that. Um, these persimmons, yeah. <laughs> you, you traditional Japanese method is you, you peel them and leave the kind of the, the cap on and you tie them up and just, you hang them like, like Christmas lights all over your house and just let them dry that way. Um, so I'm going to get a case of those from, from one of the, the farms over the hill. And so we just stay, really stay on top of that stuff and says, Hey guys, guess what? It's, it's citrus season. And so we get a bunch of citrus and we make, you know, candied lemon peel. And, um, it, we just picked, uh, about 150 pounds of pears from our backyard and we've been making wow. dried pears and pear sauce all week. And we made applesauce with the pears. So it's just a lot of eating seasonally. People, people will buy what's in season and eat it, but um, kind of having the mentality of use an overabundance of what's in season, like save it for later. So when it's tomato season, like don't just eat a few tomatoes, buy cases of them, go to the farmer's markets. You will be amazed at how excited 
these farmers will get if you say, I want cases of tomatoes or I want cases of what you have because they always have so much of it. And it's only good for such a short while. They're just constantly trying to get rid of it. So you say, I want three cases of tomatoes. They'll cut you a deal. and They'll probably give you a hug for it too. Um, <laughs> like, oh God, yes, take the case, please. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I think that's a really great way to connect with food is, is that preserving, whether it's canning or drying or fermenting, um, just a way to kind of extend the harvest. Yeah. Well, and I think also, too, what you just said about going to a farmer's market, so even moving past um, grocers and going directly to the source and getting to know those farmers, it might sound cliche, get to know your farmer, but it's it's huge. It's huge, right? You want to yeah. be able to know, even if they can't, um, and maybe that you could speak to this, too, but I know that you could, if you get to know a local farmer, maybe they can't afford to be certified organic, but maybe all their practices are pretty darn close. But you would never know unless you went to that market and saw them and talked to them. Yeah, that's that's totally true. And I I love when people come to shop in the co-op, but ultimately I'm even happier when they find reasons not to shop in the co-op. Um, mm. And that just comes down to the fact that when we're trying to source products, the source, the more we know about how it's grown and whether it's truly sustainable or not. So a lot of products, it's, it's gone through so many people to get to us that we can't possibly figure out how it was grown or even in a lot of cases where it was grown. Mm. So we get excited when we have a product that has really few middlemen, but ultimately as a co-op, we are a middleman. I think it's cool too if you can find a co-op where they're like, yeah, don't don't use us unless you need to, then come to the store. Otherwise, hey, do your thing. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've learned so much stuff today. <laughs> I told you. I, I told Hannah. I was like, Jacob is full of knowledge. So you could ask him a question about anything. We could be not talking about food, and Jacob would have a few things to say. Yeah. I don't. I don't quite know what to do next. <laughs> Myself, well, I think but... I think those tips were really helpful, though. So if you are someone who doesn't know where to get started, continuing to focus on okay, let me put my the dollar that I do have, let me put it towards meat and eggs and then fresh fruits and vegetables. And if those are already, you've got those ducks in a the line, then starting to look at grains. Okay, where what is the sourcing of those grains? Is that something that I thought about before? Because I think, Jacob, you hit the nail on the head that that isn't something, that that is the next step for a lot of people that um, maybe people aren't even aware that that is, could be a next step for them. In the beginning of the episode, I was saying, Jacob... We do challenges, so I'm curious if you've had a chance to think and mull over a challenge that you could give to both Hannah and to me. Um, yeah, I've thought about. It. I mean, the first thing that that pops into my brain, we have um, we have product reps that will come and basically bring a bunch of food and say, "Hey, look at this. This is a really cool product. You should sell it." And as I flip it over and I start reading the ingredients. Um, and I think my biggest challenge would be um, just really taking the time to to look at the ingredients on every single thing you eat. Um, and the two things I would suggest looking for, one, look to see if you would recognize that ingredient if you saw it in its, in its pure form. So if you're reading an ingredient list for chips, first ingredient, potatoes, you go, okay, I can picture a potato. Second ingredient, safflower oil. Okay. I can picture safflower oil. I know what that looks like even more so. I can picture the plant. I know where that oil comes from. Third ingredient, xanthan gum. <laughs> dun, That's dun, when you dun. start trouble. I've never, I've never <laughs> seen xanthan gum by itself. I've never seen natural flavors by themselves. And so, You've never seen xanthan growing on a tree? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so looking at ingredient lists um, – that, how, how specific do I need to get with this? Like, it's, it's whatever you want to throw our way. So if, if we're looking at every ingredient on every food that we're preparing at home, I'd say that's quite the challenge that I'm up for, I'm excited for. Yeah, I yeah. think just looking at it and, and not like saying no to certain things, but just looking at it and being aware. The other thing I'd watch out for, um, just because this is really fascinating to me, is added sugar. Um, mm. And, and just just pay attention to how much you see that because people talk about a lot of different things that, that they want more or less of in their life. They want more protein or less protein, more fat or less fat, more carbohydrates or less carbohydrates. I mean, those are three of the four kind of like main foods and the last one is sugars. And and we are, are supremely addicted to um, refined added sugars. Um, and so just when you read those ingredient lists, 
notice how many things have sugar in them, whether it's you know, almond milk or peanut butter. I mean, you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the jelly has sugar, the peanut butter has sugar, and so does the bread that you put it on. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> what yep. if you just eat a cookie? That's not sugar, right? It's just cookie? Right? <laughs> I, I think, I think cookie. cookie is an ingredient, and I think the FDA is okay with that. Okay. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that's an awesome challenge, especially if listeners want to do the added sugar challenge too, because that's, that's something we do in uh, my group nutrition class, Essential You, because we start a food challenge a week after we begin the class, so people have a full week to be trying to get in these foods that are on the challenge, which means no sugar is added. And there's so many savory foods that have sugars added, um, yeah. even stuff like hummus. That's a biggie where you're like, I didn't know I was dipping my carrot into this uh, sweetened hummus. Yeah. And it'll depend so much brand by brand, especially, um, yeah, if you're if you're choosing to purchase something like a hummus versus making it. When you make it, yeah. you have that total control, right? But, yeah, that awareness, I think that's really key. You'll, you'll find it everywhere. I mean, we carry uh, a packaged um, organic free-range chicken broth, and guess what the second ingredient on the list is? <laughs> Sugar. Yeah, yeah. And also um, with that, and I know you gave us a challenge, but you just got me so excited. (laughs) Um, With that, looking for different names of sugar. So is it, are they trying to be, uh, are they trying to dupe you a little bit? Is it called cane sugar? Is it tapioca syrup? Is it brown rice syrup? Is it um, fructose, glucose, the name beet sugar? golden syrup i mean there's so many i can't even like think straight right now but there are lots of different names and different types of sugars people can add into a product to also change where that sugar is listed on the ingredient label that's that's actually a really popular trick especially if you're getting like energy bars or nutrition bars um people don't want to see sugar as the first ingredient so the first ingredient will be oats and then the next four ingredients will be brown rice syrup um sugar high fructose corn syrup and agave nectar and so none of those one sugars is the first ingredient, but guess what? For the first five are all And the sugar. reason that that's important, too, uh, just for anyone who doesn't know, is that ingredients are listed in their quantity. So the, the quantity of the first ingredient is going to be the highest amount, and then they'll be listed um, in descending order. So, yep. yeah, it's packaging, man. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate having you on. I yeah, feel like awesome. I learned so much, my brain is going to explode. <laughs> but in a good way um, yeah <laughs> knowledge explosion <laughs> all right well again i feel like with a lot of our guests we could talk to you for another three hours and just we're barely scratching the surface but um thanks so much and we'll let you get back to your job you're in the middle of your work day thanks everybody for joining us on Soconicast this week it's been fun We learned so much. I need a nap now. And we'll be back next week with more. Tune in. Oh, and thanks, as always, to our producer, Taj, who is going to be um, swinging from the chandelier here tonight. And I can't Ah. wait to take her to it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Sulkanacast is produced by Taj Ruler. Subscribe on iTunes or visit sulkanacast.libsim.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com for full episode information. You can also visit our website at sulkanafitness.com to stay up to date on everything health and fitness. Join in on the conversation over on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sulkana CrossFit. See you there.